Hello. Welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from Bill Moyer's journal, The Young Turks, Keith Olbermann, Randy Rhodes, Sam Cedar, and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. On the phone, it's a pleasure to welcome to the program Glenn Greenwald. He blogs at, uh, I don't know if he still calls it Unclaimed Territory, but it's at Salon.com, and he is the author of the best-selling book, How Would a Patriot Act? And in May 2006, his second book, A Tragic Legacy, was released, both fantastic and important reads. Uh, Welcome to the program, Glenn. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, so, Glenn, there's a couple of stories I want to talk to you about. Uh, the the first being uh, this uh, FISA issue, and then uh, maybe we can move on to uh, the uh, the torture uh, memos, as they have become to uh, be known, or I guess the the secret torture memos. We already had our first round of torture memos. Um, tell us, uh, give me a sense of what the 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 situation is with this John Conyers Restore Act. Well, as of course you know, in, in August, the Democratic Congress passed a bill under pressure from the Bush administration that massively expanded the president's power to eavesdrop without warrants on, on the conversations of American citizens. And when they did that, Nancy Pelosi and other congressional Democrats promised that they would uh, enact legislation when they returned from their break to fix what it is that they did. The bill that they passed in August has a six-month sunset provision. So if, if, if nothing happens, if a new bill is not passed, it just elapses after six months and, and, and the old bill, the old FISA bill, um, reverts back. And today the House Democrats introduced a bill that was actually Glenn, rather Glenn, can I stop you right there? Uh, sure. When you say the old FISA bill uh, reverts, does this go back to the law uh, as it stands, the FISA uh, bill from 1978, or is this the, the, the one that sunsets? No, the, the FISA bill in 1978 is still valid law. The August bill substantially expanded the powers under that bill, but that those amendments in August only last for six months. Okay. So if nothing else is done, if they're not made permanent, they just go away. It's like the whole thing never happened, and, and the old FISA law from 1978 becomes the, the, the law again. And and so the, the House Democrats today introduced a, a bill that, isn't exactly what the old law was, but provides most of the protections that the old law provided, requiring warrants for most, though not all, international conversations, and and also refused to provide what the White House wanted most, which is immunity for the telecom companies that broke the law by allowing the administration to eavesdrop on the conversations of their customers without warrant. So the House bill... That they that that said that that what was introduced by John Conyers and and, and Sylvester Reyes was is actually a, a, a surprisingly good bill in the sense that it defies most of the demands of the Bush administration. So what is it that we're hearing? I mean, why are we seeing these stories uh, in the New York Times suggesting that the Democrats are somehow caving? Well, because there's a big difference between introducing a bill and then fighting to ensure that. That bill gets enacted. I mean, they the Democrats have introduced a lot of really good bills this year. Like they introduced bills to end the war in Iraq, and they introduced a bill to restore habeas corpus to the United States. And they introduce these bills, and then they end up ignoring them and walking away, and 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 giving the administration at the end of the day everything that it wants. And and so while it's somewhat encouraging to see that the bill that they introduced is something that, that really does defy what the White House wants, they're whispering to reporters and, and have been for some time that their real intent here is to essentially do a compromise bill that, that makes permanent what they did in August and to give to the telecom companies the amnesty, the immunity that the White House is, has been demanding. And now, now, my understanding is that when they enacted this uh, this bill in August, uh, the one that will sunset, I guess it would be February-ish, um, that there was, in fact, some, uh, some specific needs for change that people, everyone across the spectrum agreed it was necessary. What, what was that change? Right. There's, it, 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 in the original FISA, you never needed a warrant 
in order to eavesdrop on calls that were completely outside of the United States. You know, somebody in Saudi Arabia calls, somebody in uh, Pakistan, a foreign-to-foreign call. It was never the intent of the original FISA that you would need a warrant in order to eavesdrop on purely foreign-to-foreign calls. What happened is, because of technological changes, sometimes purely foreign-to-foreign calls now are routed through the United States because they're, they're transmitted through fiber optics rather than telephone lines. And earlier this year, a FISA court said that any call that ever physically touches the United States, even a foreign-to-foreign call, requires a FISA warrant in order to eavesdrop on it. And everybody agrees that was not the intent of the FISA law, that foreign-to-foreign calls, even if they're by happenstance routed to the United States, should not require a warrant in order to eavesdrop on it. And, and, and the Democrats said, well, we're more than happy to make that change. Everybody was happy to make that change. And that was when the White House used that opportunity to say, well, now that you're changing FISA, we want a lot more, including the ability to listen in on all foreign calls without warrants, whether they're Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, or Pakistan, the United States. And, and that was the demand that the Democrats capitulated to. problem uh, with the statement that, that she made was that it really did confirm that both the House and Senate Intel Committees do nothing. They have a history of absolute omission. And this is an example. What's the point of oversight if members can be told about a program that is clearly a federal crime and do nothing? Yeah, so, this is, this is where point? I agree with you. This is where I get when I start to you know, go through it. I always end up at this particular point. We, you and I, uh, have talked about inherent contempt. I've talked to other constitutional scholars. There are very few in this country, so I'm blessed. I've talked to, uh, uh, you know, the ACLU. I've talked to their chief legislative person. I've talked to their lobbyists. I've talked to the guy who's in charge of the ACLU. And we all end up at the same place. Why isn't the president being held accountable for the crimes he commits? Well, the, the, I'll tell you, the thing that took my breath away was when, with Democratic support, they extended the life of the Domestic Surveillance Program Act. And i got to tell you, I almost felt physically ill. Because uh, many of us... Before the summer recess. Yeah, yeah, many of us were saying for many months, and, and John Conyers was leading this effort, this is a federal crime. Under the law Congress passed, what the president ordered dozens of times, constitutes a felony. And what did the Democrats do? They extend it for a period of months because it's politically convenient. And what does the White House do? They immediately go out and say, well, it can't be a crime because Congress just extended it. They would never extend it if it was a crime. And so suddenly this entire basis of criminality evaporated. And I just, to this day, I can't imagine why they did that. Well, now she does offer an explanation. She says, Jane Harmon says, that the chatter was up all summer that a member of Congress had told her and other Congress members at the exact time that this, uh, you know, Protect America Act, or PEH, <laughs> it doesn't even have a good acronym, was on the House floor, that the Senate had sent over their piece of crap legislation and left. And so now it was up to the House members, and a rumor mill was just churning that the Capitol was, it was under specific threat and that they, they would have, uh, you know, had to leave and if, God forbid, something happened over the summer, they would have had blood on their hands. And those words were actually being... I know, but, but Randy, how many times are, are we going to fall for this? I don't know. See, that's I mean, the question. The thing is, look what's happening now. We're coming up for the reauthorization today. Right. This is when it comes up. What, what, what was released this morning? A new uh, rumor out of the administration that al-Qaeda is stepping up its efforts to come into the United States right. and that they think there's going to be an imminent attack. Every time we deal with this, from the Patriot Act to, you know, the, the, the authorization for extension now to the so-called Restore Act yeah. uh, by the Democrats, these leaks come out. And every time the politicians say, oh, God, we fell for it again, I, guess I just don't believe it. I don't think they're falling for it. I think that they want to be hoodwinked because it's politically popular for them to say, yeah, I, I voted to, you know, extend the surveillance program, but you know what, I was really misled if things go wrong. Yeah. 
that's probably what's what's at play here. It's you know I know it's 2007, but everybody's thinking about an election year. Yes, I, that's probably true. Uh, so now we're all educated. We're smart thinking people. We care about our freedom. We don't think there's a finite amount in the world, so we have to give up some of ours so that they could have some over there. Nobody's buying this. What do we do? What is the right thing to do? What do we do with all this knowledge, with all of this information that we have? Well, one thing, we've got to hold these members of Congress accountable. I mean, they're playing us like a nation of chumps. I mean, the, the, the fact is, what was, what was the comment that was made this morning with the Democratic proposal? This is a centrist position in light of the president. Well, that's exactly what the White House does. They adopt the most extreme possible position. And what do the Democrats do? They move along that spectrum. They buy into it by moving towards the president. Instead of saying, hold it, you know, before 9-11, many people believed the FISA court was unconstitutional, that right. it is unconstitutional of a secret court. Now the Democrats treat it as if it's the very definition of the rule of law. I know, I know, you know it is a weird thing. You know, there is a really easy way to solve this. It's called the Fourth Amendment. It's in the Constitution. If you want to do surveillance, get a warrant. Now, judges aren't particularly draconian about getting warrants. They're, they're, they're Americans like everyone else. But you have to show that there's a reason for them. Wiretapping, torture, extraordinary rendition. How far can a president go? What President Bush is saying is that the president has powers, constitutional powers, which Congress may not take away from him. This administration has tried to hide the truth and has lied to the public. But what they've done with respect to torture has hurt us in the effort to beat the bin Ladens of the world. Some of you will remember that back in July, the conservative scholar Bruce Fine was here on the journal expressing outrage over expansion of presidential powers under Bush and Cheney. Take, for instance, the assertion that he's made that when he is out to collect foreign intelligence, no other branch can tell him what to do. That means he can intercept your emails, your phone calls, open your regular mail, he can break and enter your home, he could even kidnap you, claiming I'm seeking foreign intelligence, there's no other branch, Congress can't make it illegal, judges can't say this is illegal, I can do anything I want. Many others have joined Bruce Fine's chorus of concern. This week, it's the muckraking populist Jim Hightower. Writing in his newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown, shown here on the website Alternet, he asked the question, is a presidential coup underway? He goes on to say the Constitution is being trampled, the very form of our government is being perverted, and nothing less than American democracy itself is endangered. We've posted Jim Hightower's lowdown on our webpage at pbs.org so that you can read the whole of his argument about it. But here's some background as to why so many people of different political stripes are alarmed. President Bush and Vice President Cheney espouse the theory of the unitary executive. That means the president's orders can't be reviewed, questioned, or altered by the other two branches of government. He alone can say what the law means or whether or not it will be enforced or ignored. In effect, George W. Bush says his powers must be unilateral and unchecked. Critics claim the president has used the war on terror to put himself above the law and that he has created a secret presidency of classified decisions and orders that approve extraordinary renditions, torture, illegal detentions, and wiretapping without warrants with the collaboration of big telecom companies. This boundless secrecy and surveillance evokes images counter to American values. Remember the Lives of Others, the movie that won this year's Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film? a story of life under East Germany's secret police. The critic Roger Ebert said, the movie is relevant today as our government ignores habeas corpus, practices secret torture, and asks for the right to wiretap and eavesdrop on its citizens. Such tactics, he said, did not save East Germany. They destroyed it by making it a country its most loyal citizens 
could no longer believe in. You want to say it couldn't happen here, but we've been close before. During the Cold War with the Soviet Union and then the hot war in Vietnam, a secret government mushroomed in this country. The attitude in the White House seemed to be, if in the wake of Vietnam I can no longer send in, send in the Marines, then I will send in the CIA. 32 years ago, at the end of the Vietnam War, Congress turned over the rock and found all kinds of things squirming under it. Lethal activities from electric pistols and poison pellets to mafia connections and drug experiments, as well as illicit acts by the executive branch, ranging from secret attempts by the CIA to subvert foreign democracies to unlawful domestic spying under such code names as Chaos, Cable Splicer, Garden Plot, and Leprechaun. The Select Senate Committee, headed by Frank Church, found no mailbox, no college campus, no telephone had been safe. Chester's means telephone surveillance. The Church Committee led Congress to reject presidential claims of inherent authority and restore some checks and balances, including putting an end to electronic surveillance without warrants. This kind of um, unrestrained, illegal, secret intimidation and harassment of the, of the essential ability of Americans to participate freely in American political life shall never happen again. But advocates of presidential prerogatives chafed at the restrictions and began then to try to reverse them. One of the people who argued most vociferously that a president could exceed the laws was a former White House chief of staff who had been elected to Congress. His name, Dick Cheney. Look at this excerpt from the documentary Cheney's Law that was broadcast on Frontline last week. Cheney had learned some hard lessons early in his political career. He has been watching presidents for three decades. It began at the end of the Nixon administration. 33-year-old Dick Cheney saw it firsthand. He viewed the searing moments of the Nixon administration, which he was there at the, in the front seats for, as a diminution of what the president ought to be. Then in 1975, he became President Ford's chief of staff. Dick Cheney was then about in his mid-30s, for the first time in his life really having substantial amount of power and, and, and responsibility. Subcommittee will come to Alden Council. Cheney watched Congress assert its authority over the president. You have a wave of congressional investigations. The program certainly appears to violate Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. And Five Cheney is trying to fight off these investigations. He's talked about how Congress unduly burdened the president and in a, in a way that he believed was unconstitutional. I believe that that's the way the president... And Dick came out of that absolutely committed to the idea of restoring the powers of the presidency. When the terrorists struck on 9-11, Dick Cheney was vice president with the opportunity now to claim extraordinary power in the name of national security. The Frontline documentary showed how he did it. They began to spy on Americans in an unprecedented way, in a way that they never had done before, by creating a special program to uh, eavesdrop on Americans without warrants on their international phone calls, and also by mounting a massive data mining operation. The data from billions of telephone calls and emails were being captured by the National Security Agency. But in the 1970s, Congress had prohibited such activities without the approval of a special court. The initial justification legally comes from yet another memo by John Yoo, in which he says that Congress may no more regulate the president's gathering of intelligence against enemies than it can decide where he deploys troops on the battlefield. If it's part of the president's power as a constitutional matter to gather intelligence, including intercepting communications, then that's a power that's included and Congress can't seize it just because it wants to. The program was top secret when Jack Goldsmith decided to review it. It's the most important thing during my time in government, and it is central to the government's counterterrorism policy, so the stakes are enormous. The stakes are still enormous, and the argument over presidential power has grown more contentious because Democrats in control of Congress keep calling administration officials to testify 
only to be rebuffed by claims of executive privilege. And has asked me to uh, follow the president's assertion of executive privilege. I was a deputy assistant to the president. I was a commissioned officer. I took an oath, uh, and I take that oath uh, uh, to the president very seriously. No, the oath says that you take an oath to uphold and protect the Constitution of the United States. That is your paramount mm -hmm. duty. I know the president refers to the government as being his government. It's not. It's the government of the people of America. At recent Senate hearings over the president's nominee for attorney general, Michael McKenzie, the battle over presidential power flared again. Can a president authorize illegal conduct? Can the president author can the president put somebody above the law by authorizing illegal conduct? The only way for me to respond to that in the abstract is to say that if by illegal you mean contrary to a statute, but within the, the authority of the president to defend the country, the president is not putting somebody above the law, the president is putting somebody within the law. Can the president put somebody above the law? No, the president doesn't stand above the law, but the law emphatically includes the Constitution. It starts with the Constitution. We'll go back to uh, we'll go back to this. I'm I'm troubled by your answer. I'm I, I see a a loophole big enough to drive a truck. I'm a living while I'm living to the final I will pray. Only in no all we get through every day. Only I give the price. I'm a leg we have to pay. This show is produced with the help of the members of the Best of the Left community. You too can be a part of the show and we would love your help. You can submit information about great clips you've heard, volunteer to help edit these clips for the show, or actually become an occasional guest producer. For more information, please visit the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Now, uh, my understanding is that there is some concern uh, with this uh, Restore Act that it allows the uh, use of blanket warrants. What are those, and how much do you perceive this as to be a problem? Well, it is a problem. I mean, the, the whole idea of the Fourth Amendment to the Bill of Rights is that in order for the government to search anything of yours or to engage in surveillance against you, they need to go to a court and in advance convince a court that there's probable cause for believing that you've actually done something wrong and, and obtain a warrant. I mean, that is the essence of the Fourth Amendment. They're, they're, that's what an individualized warrant is, is evidence that shows a court that there's good reason to believe that, that there's a need to eavesdrop on what you're doing or to search your home or, or, or to surveil you in some other way. Blanket warrants are, and under this bill basically says that all the administration has to do is go to a court for a certain class of, of communications whenever they want to intercept international calls. All they have to do is go to a court and say, here are the procedures that we're using in order to figure out who it is that we want to eavesdrop on. And as long as they can convince a court that the procedures that they're using in general are reasonable and are designed to eavesdrop on people who are engaged in bad acts, then the court can and will approve the program as a whole. The court will have no idea who they're going to eavesdrop on, who the specific targets are. The court will simply say, well, it sounds like what you're doing is reasonable, so here's a warrant and goodbye and good luck and we'll see you in six months and you can tell us how, how it went. So it basically allows what, what is called a warrant but is not really a warrant because it's missing the whole essence of the warrant, which is proof that the person who's being eavesdropped on has actually done something wrong. Is there some sense that this is something that the um, uh, the, uh, the 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 courts would ultimately find unconstitutional? Well, there's a very significant constitutional problem with that, and, and in fact, in, in 1972, the Supreme Court of the United States did rule that that when the government is investigating domestic terrorism cases when they are trying to find domestic terrorists or 
detect plots beforehand that the Fourth Amendment does require individualized warrants in order to eavesdrop on conversations. And the government, the Bush administration, has taken the position, well, but for foreign intelligence or for investigations of foreign terrorists, that rationale doesn't apply. We're now engaged in foreign policy and in military acts and, and in operating and protecting the country, and therefore the Fourth Amendment doesn't require that we get warrants in order to eavesdrop on the conversations of Americans, and, and it's a frivolous um, argument one that hasn't been tested. And, and so there is a good uh, a chance that the bill that even the Democrats introduced is, is unconstitutional. And uh, But this would have to be something that would wind its way through the courts, and of course it would have the same problem as it's hard to find somebody who has standing to bring this case up, I guess, because and say that their constitutional Fourth Amendment rights have been violated because they don't know that they've been spied upon. Precisely. And, and you know, you're exactly right. And, and the other aspect of it is it takes years for... Uh, those cases to wind their way through the courts. And, you know, the court is split five to four um, on most of these questions, probably including that one. And and one of the people who is in the five um, is, is 87 years old, and, and several others are, are quite old as well. And so the, the idea of letting it, the courts protect our, our constitutional rights um, is not all that comforting, given the composition of the court. It, it's mystifying, even though I started off kind of praising the House Democrats, because everything is, is relative these days, and when they do anything other than cave in completely, you're kind of surprised and, and happy. But it's amazing that, that they start off the negotiations introducing a bill that already eliminates the requirement of individual warrants, a, a bill that might even be so extreme that it's actually unconstitutional. And, and so it, it really leads one to wonder how serious the House leadership really is about um, actually defending the, the provisions in this bill, or whether this is just sort of a, a, a some crumbs that they threw to the progressive members of the House and to people like you and me so that we can say, well, at least they're doing something for the moment, and, and their real goal is to sit in a room secretly and write up with the administration uh, the bill that really does give the, the White House everything it wants. Uh, we, we just have a minute here before we get to take a break, but uh, what I don't understand is, look, I know the uh, that uh, in August uh, the the Bush administration had told them stories that look uh, an attack is imminent on the on the on the Capitol building or something to that effect that scared everybody and they were sort of hoodwinked supposedly by Mike McConnell and now of course the Bush administration is now trumpeting a new report saying that Al Qaeda still exists et cetera et cetera. But what? Why? I mean, it seems to me the Democrats in this situation have the leverage. If they do nothing at all, come February, we revert back to a law that everybody agreed upon was working, short of the Bush administration and maybe some of the Republicans, uh, that functions well, that protects American civil liberties, that worked for 30 years. What I don't understand, I mean, and maybe you don't either, maybe we're just howling at the wind here, uh, but what, 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 what is this about? Well, I mean, you know, the New York Times says, well, they're they're afraid of being branded as soft on terrorists. I mean, that's the common answer, but I, I find that hard to believe. I mean, they, they no matter what they do, they're going to be branded as soft on terrorists. And it's not as though there's some, you know, grand public movement in American heartland demanding telecom immunity or demanding warrantless surveillance. I mean, there's no real political cost to resisting the president. So at some point... You know, the only conclusion you can reach is they believe in this stuff. They they think the the White House ought to have these powers to, to eavesdrop in a much more aggressive way on Americans. Well, just horrible. Uh, folks, call uh, your congresspeople. Uh, give support to the Progressive Caucus and um, uh, just get on the phones and tell them to protect uh, your civil liberties. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me Hi, this is Sam Cedar, and you're listening to the Best of the Left podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in to Cedar on Sundays every Sunday from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Air America Radio, or you can watch us live online at samcedarshow.com. What more do you want from me? Like any civilized country and organization from time to time, we in America have to have a national conversation with ourselves. Ask tough questions about who we are, what we believe in. Is our children learning? <laughs> Would we, in fact, like fries with that? Do we torture? 
which, like any weighty question of ethics, is actually a question of semantics. Well, torture, what's your definition? The, the, uh, it's, that's defined in U.S. law. It is? Oh. Oh. Ah, ah, ah. Here we go. Uh, torture, an act specifically intended to inflict severe physical or mental uh, pain or suffering. And we don't torture. Belgium we don't torture I'm so glad we don't inflict severe physical or mental what's this right here oh hey look at this it's a Justice Department memo in my US law uh, we are allowed to head slap expose people to extreme temperatures and simulate drowning uh, which is called waterboarding which by the way sounds so much better than simulate drowning you know, when you get waterboarded, it sounds like fun. I can't wait to hop in my Jeep Liberty, drink some Mountain Dew, and go waterboarding. <laughs> but see, this is the trouble with not being barbaric. We always find ourselves in these gray areas. You'd be amazed how much uncertainty there is in the realm of drowning. Even when you're lashed to a board with water being poured on your face, still quite a bit of wiggle room. It depends on how it's done. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on who does it. Uh, you know, like, uh, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say, uh, the person doing it is, I don't know, the Harlem Globetrotters. Let's say it's them. So you think it's going to be water in the bucket, but, uh, at the last second, turns out the bucket is filled with confetti. Yeah. Very funny. Torture? Uh, I would say no. I think the way it's been defined in the media, it shouldn't be done. The way in which they have described it, uh, particularly in the liberal media. Ah, interesting point. What is the liberal definition of, what is the liberal definition of, of I have the liberal dictionary right here. Let's see what, let's see how they describe, uh, uh, define waterboarding. Something done by the evil troops who we don't support to innocent terrorists violating their rights to bomb our cities and make us get gay married. Well, I can see why you'd have a problem with that. What about, by the way, you want to know something interesting? It turns out the liberal dictionary is also a children's Bible. I don't know. It's as though somebody just slapped some sort of cover on it that said liberal dictionary. What about the, what about the nominee for attorney general, our nation's top law enforcement official? He can provide the concrete, legal, and ethical precision we need to figure out whether or not we should be drowning people. Rhode Island's Sheldon Whitehouse, who, by the way, has the best rebus of any sitting senator, pose the question. So is waterboarding constitutional? I don't know what's involved in the technique. If, it, if waterboarding is, is torture, torture is not constitutional. You don't know what's involved in water? How do you not know waterboarding is going to be on the test? Waterboarding inflicts mental pain and suffering. It's the definition of torture in U.S. law. The Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments bar conduct that shocks the conscience. Shock the conscience. By the way, that's exactly what the CIA did when they classified Jiminy Cricket as an enemy combatant. That somewhat raises the bar that's attached to the anal pair. So now conduct, it can't just be hurtful. It has to shock the conscience. But then the real question becomes, whose conscience are we working with here? Yours and mine, or maybe CIA Chief Michael Hayden's? Talking about the shock the conscience standard, all right? If they took you and me, all right, people of our age, and put us, you and me, through what Marine, crew, Marine Corps recruits go through at Paris Island and forced us to do that, that would probably shock the conscience. Oh, my God, the Army's unconstitutional. <laughs> For more on this, we're joined by our own Rob Riggle. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Here. Uh, Cain and Abel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rob, you're a member of the Marine Corps. Uh, you've been through the training the CIA director mentioned. Uh, does the Marine Corps boot camp shock the conscience? It's a world of... John. The things I've seen, they'd make Satan crap his pants.
Really? No, I'm just screwing with you. <laughs> Let's see. It's oh god, it's been a few years. Um, whoa. Oh yeah, yeah. You had to get up at the butt crack of dawn. You got to make your bed real nice, like super nice. Uh, and if it's messy, they make you scrub toilets with a toothbrush. But it's not like the tooth toothbrush belongs to anybody, right? So ethics-wise, I think you're in the clear. But Rob, what I'm asking is, is, is boot camp comparable in any way to the mental and physical distress of something like waterboarding? Well, it's definitely tough. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Uh, they had this tire course. I don't know if you've ever tried to run through tires, but it's like <laughs> toe stub city. Uh, and then there's this guy who's always in your face. He's all maggot and uh, this and reach around that and uh, you know, but. But did any of it give me a sensation comparable to water flooding my breathing passages and a feeling of imminent death? No, no, not really. But, oh, I did one time have to peel a bunch of potatoes. Do potatoes have souls? I, I don't believe potatoes have souls, no. All right. Then my conscience is in the clear. All right. Thank you very much. Rob Riggle, everybody. We'll be right back. My yellow cat invade my red cat in the yard The feline war has raged for years So I assume it be too hard For me to drive my foot between them I would never risk the scratch Just to prove to one or both of them A cat is just a cat again I watch my cousin Greg watch MTV inside his home it is perhaps the greatest paradox of the many paradoxes of the Bush administration. The president desperately fighting for immunity for telecom giants, which assisted him with domestic surveillance, even though the president maintains that he and they have done nothing illegal. Our fourth story on the countdown, the White House clearing another hurdle in its effort to claim that get-out-of-jail-free card for the phone companies. The Senate Intelligence Committee reaching a tentative agreement with the administration that would give the telephone carriers blanket immunity for whatever role they played in the National Security Agency's eavesdropping program. The tentative deal reached with the committee's leaders, Democrat Jer uh, Chairman Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia and Kit Bond of Missouri, the ranking Republican. But over a day two of confirmation hearings for Attorney General nominee Michael Mukasey, it appears the Judiciary Committee chairman is going to be a tougher sell. Senator Pat Leahy saying he believes the Intelligence Committee is about to cave on this and bring pressure on the Judiciary Committee to immunize past illegal conduct only because they know that it was illegal conduct, he says. If only Democrats in the House exhibited as much skepticism or as much backbone, party leaders there putting off a vote on the FISA bill last night because of a competing measure from Republicans that asked lawmakers where they stood on stopping Osama bin Laden from attacking the United States again. How about coming back with a Democratic bill asking Republicans to pay attention next time if they got any warnings about that? Let's turn now to our own Dana Milbank, national political reporter of the Washington Post. Dana, good evening. Good evening, Keith. Uh, Democrats may have denounced the Republicans' poison pill on bin Laden as a cheap shot, as a political ploy, but I, I'm noticing here that it worked. So, so uh, who ends up looking cheap, not to mention weak? <laughs> Keith, I am shocked that there are cheap political ploys occurring in Washington. Of course, uh, this city is the leading manufacturer of cheap political ploys, and they are done every day. Uh, people only howl about them when they've been outmaneuvered, and that's exactly uh, what happened uh, here with the Democrats. The uh, Republicans saw disunity uh, uh, properly, correctly, within the uh, Democratic caucus, and they were able to uh, uh, put in this measure that they knew could peel off enough people and uh, handed Nancy Pelosi a major embarrassment. Proper, uh, proper, no, uh, proper realization of the disunity? or proper disunity, which, which, which did you see there? The uh, realization that there was a disunity, and I, and I think what's uh, uh, occurring here is the, the, the hardcore left wing of the party wanted to go even further in protecting uh, uh, civil liberties, so they had the, sort of the uh, unintended uh, consequence of, uh, of, of derailing the, uh, the party's larger efforts. This has happened to some extent on the Iraq war, too. Yeah, and why? Uh, because you know, on this particular thing, being declared soft on terrorism, basically saying 
if you vote Democratic, you stand a much better chance of dying, did not stick in the last election. It did not prevent Democrats from taking control of Congress in the midterms. The voters are apparently smarter than the politicians, so why are Democrats still afraid of tackling national security issues head on, or, or did I just answer my own question? <laughs> I'm not sure that they really are still afraid. There is some lingering uh, uh, sense among them that they're the mommy party and the Republicans are the daddy party. Uh, but I, I really think what's happened here is because they cannot rely uh, on the base to uh, support uh, their uh, their challenge. Uh, what what what's happening is they uh, they can't make sort of the the full throated challenge. They've got to balance uh, the conservatives uh, within their party and the liberals within their party. Yeah, there's a, there's a deadbeat daddy party here is what we've got what we're <laughs> dealing with. Um, the, the, and he's a wino. The Judiciary Committee was grilling the Attorney General nominee who has been billed. You you described him the other day in these terms as as a as a fairly responsible guy and makes the president look good, uh, Judge Mukasey. Mm -hmm. But yesterday he said he disagreed with the president on torture. We got a lot of gold stars from, from the center and the left. And today he would not say where he stands on waterboarding. He would not define waterboarding as torture. What, what is the tight race? Is this, is this how, somehow, is he going to wind up asking for immunity before this is over? Is that what we're seeing here? It sounds like somebody got to him overnight after the first day there. And I'm not saying he was waterboarded, but he was probably uh, put into some stress positions uh, and uh, perhaps told by the administration you don't want to get too far out on a limb in terms of what you're denouncing here because you haven't yet been read into the program, as they say, so he doesn't know uh, exactly what's going on here. So uh, there may be a bit of uh, backtracking there because he wants to continue to be the nominee. However, he, had, he has impressed uh, a number of the Democrats on the uh, panel, even despite these problems today. So, so they're going to get him out of, out of committee handily and, and with, a, with a big recommendation to the full Senate. There's no, there's, nobody's going to stand up and go, no, you, either you say this is a torture or we're keeping you here in these hearings for the next eight months. And no, it, they'll get about as far as our colleague uh, Richard Wolf did asking the president <laughs> to define torture uh, yesterday. Uh, no, Leahy's made pretty clear that he expects him to be uh, confirmed. There may be symbolic uh, votes against him, but the, the truth is they're just so happy to have anybody but Gonzalez that uh, yeah. they'll, they'll let him through. Well, yeah, on the other point, you know, Richard is just, just trying to enhance his legacy for after he leaves <laughs> the White House beat. Our own Dana Milbank, also of the Washington Post, of course. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight, thanks. Dana. huge things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. Uh, Senator Rockefeller, Senator Feinstein, and, a lot, and almost all the Democratic senators on the Intelligence Committee have all bought knee pads, and they've buckled, and they're on their knees, uh, reaching a so-called bipartisan compromise with President Bush and the Republicans in Congress, which means they totally gave in and said, yes, we would give immunity for all the laws that you've broken to the telecommunication companies. It was a total, in my estimation, well, you know what, it's not fair to say 100% sellout. I say 80% sellout. Because Feingold put an amendment in there that was not so bad, right? So they're ready to buckle, and I'm ready to get enraged as usual. I write something up. I put it on our website. Everybody's having fun. It's the Democrats as we know them. When all of a sudden, there's a little twist. Who steps in but Senator Dodd and says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and put a hold on this thing, and it's not going through. All of a sudden, we have a new hero in America. Now, before I get carried away, Am I right to be excited, Sam? What does the hold mean, and do you think it's going to stick? Well, it basically is a, uh, it's like a Senate, uh, I guess, procedural move where a, where a senator can put a, a hold, literally a hold on a bill and keep it from uh, reaching the floor. 
I mean, I think you're you're right to be excited about this, if only because it is the first time we're seeing any of our presidential candidates. And look, you know, I, you know, I. The, the bottom line is, when you're a presidential candidate, you have the opportunity. To, you almost always have the opportunity to get a microphone, as long as uh, you, you know uh, you're willing to come out and do something that is in some way bold. And so I've been looking for uh, these uh, presidential candidates on the Democratic side to, you know, they can't necessarily sway the whole Senate, but I want to see some measure of leadership. And I think Dodd here, who has been uh, very much from the beginning, since the beginning of uh, the Democrats taking control of, uh, of the Senate, has been uh, pushing the notion of restoring the habeas corpus uh, aspects of the Military Commissions Act. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and has been uh, pushing for uh, reestablishing some of our basic tenets uh, embedded in our Constitution. So, yeah, I would be excited to just at the very least to see some signs of leadership in life from the Democrats. Now, there's also a story out there, apparently, that uh, Harry Reid may try and circumvent this hold, and then we start getting into uh, Senate procedures that are a little bit beyond my pay grade at this point. But he is, uh, Dodd is calling for a, um, a uh, for people to sign a petition at his website, which, you know, I presume if there's enough signatures, he's going to take down to Harry Reid and say, look, you can't do this. So, I mean, it is exciting, but you have to temper your excitement, as I know that you always do. Uh, I refuse. And in a minute, I'm going to take it over the top. But first, let's talk about that uh, last part that you said there, Sam. That's really dangerous. First of all, it tells me that Senator Reid is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Uh, for him to say, I'm going to side with the guys who are caving in. And Senator Pat Leahy, by the way, is on Dodd's side and, and has literally called it on the Senate floor as caving in. Okay, And so he's not missing words on it. Arliss Specter, Republican of Pennsylvania, thinks it's caving in thinks we shouldn't give retroactive immunity to the telecommunication companies. And the Democrats are to the right of our Spector, which is a terrible place to be. And which side does the Senate majority leader take? He takes the side of Rockefeller and the, and the guys who are calling for the cave-in. It's rare for there to be a hold. It's much rarer for the, for the leader of, their, of, of that party's hold to come out and say, well, we're going to have a vote on it anyway. That's almost never heard of. And that's what Senate Majority Harry Reid is promising to do here, saying, hey, I don't care if we have any strong people on the uh, Senate side uh, in the Democratic Party. I promise to be weak no matter what happens, and no matter how many strong people there are on my side, I promise President Bush I will always kneel. So, you know, you look at uh, the donor list for Jay Rockefeller, supposed Democrat from West Virginia, head of the Intelligence Committee, and everything becomes crystal clear. Four out of his top ten donors are telecommunications lobbyists. And then, all of a sudden, magically, all of the employees for AT&T and Verizon decide, hey, you know what, it might be a great idea to go ahead and donate to Senator Rockefeller. Just last year. Huh, I wonder how they all magically made that decision all by themselves, individual level. Just funny how that it's works. A it's a fascinating coincidence. I mean, it really is a shocking, shocking coincidence. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's possible that Rockefeller has been sort of... Um, out there addressing the concerns of people who work for telecommunications companies <laughs> like I, I don't know what those special concerns are free coffee I don't know I don't know what it is oh right 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 so I think what Senator Dodd was did was so great uh, so unexpected from these Democrats and so absolutely necessary and the first sign I've really seen of life uh, and real fighting back against this administration that Sam if the vote were held today the primary was in California today I'd vote Senator Dodd for president. How you like me now? Uh, you know, I, uh, you got to reward good behavior. I mean, uh, you know, I think that's. Uh, it, I, I can't. I, I can't argue with that. I mean, you know, at least we're seeing a guy who's standing up and uh, and, and pushing, um, and, and at least attempting to fight. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. Uh, and someone who's trying to lead. Uh, not just uh, his fellow senators, but also the American public, you know, making an issue of this. And that's what I'd like to see more uh, from some of the other, particularly the, the obviously the, um, the candidates who are in the Senate. I mean, it's one thing to talk about it when you're out of the Senate, but it's one thing to actually put, it, uh, put yourself on the line and go out onto a limb and do this. So, yeah, all right, I love it. I mean, um, Here's the thing, you know, I got a little depressed because I got a sense that Gore might not run and he's only got about a week, maximum two weeks left 
before it's going to be too late. And so I'm looking at the other candidates, and I'm thinking, I've got to vote for one of these schleps. I mean, these people who have just not fought the administration at all, you know, they talk a big game, especially Clinton and Obama, and then they sit back and, I mean, and this is what, you know, Matt Stoller said it on our show, I don't know, a month ago, but we've said it many times before, and it, it's it's almost as if I didn't, be, couldn't believe the rules because nobody would actually use it, but we're like, couldn't any senator put a hold on something egregious like this? And I thought, well, since no one's doing it, maybe they can't, maybe I misunderstood the rules. And it turns out, of course they can, of course. All you need is the courage. And not the courage just to fight Republicans, but to fight your own sellout Democrats. And yeah. that's the real problem, because they have civility, and they know them, and they have cocktails with them, and tea with them, and crumpets with them, and they go to picnics together, or whatever they do. So they feel bad saying, hey, Rockefeller is a sellout to the telecoms, so I can, I'm not going to put a hold on some BS bipartisan compromise that he pretends to have, and call him what he is. So finally, when Dodd did it, I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess out of these guys, Dodd's a clear winner. Not just because of this, too. Exactly what you said earlier, Sam. I mean, I loved what he was doing with the Military Commissions Act and fighting that. And I loved his statement on when he came out here and he said, look, I'm going to put a hold not on, just on this, but on things on the Military Commissions Act, on the torturing, on you know wiretapping like this, etc. I'm not going to take it anymore. That's what I wanted to hear. You know, Dodd was also one of those guys who uh, relatively early on, or at the very least after Joe Liebman lost the primary, he was the one who said basically, you know, Joe, you got to sit this one out. And that's a tough thing to do, particularly with, you know, being from Connecticut. I mean, that's your fellow uh, senator. And so, uh, you know, Dodd is, is showing that he has, that he sort of walks the walk uh, to a certain extent, which is, it would be nice to see if that was contagious with our presidential candidates. Yeah, Dodd in 08. We got a new hero in America. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Best of the Left podcast. Just wanted to remind everyone that it is a new month, so please vote for us over at Podcast Alley if you haven't already done so. And I'll be back next week with a brand new show for you guys. Till then, peace. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.